Hello, all. Can you turn it up? Can you turn it up just a hair for me? Thank you. That's much better. I just want to make sure everybody can hear. Not that I have fantastic words except for the word of God, so we all get to listen. First thing I want to do is remind you if you have your phones on, if you could please turn them off for me, please. It's just distracting to some others that may be in the room and trying to listen. And the second thing I want to uh, say is please um, understand that these words are not unique to me. These are words from many sources, from many um, very learned people. So what I present to you is my grouping of what um, some great people have had to say about our lesson. So let's start. Okay, there's a man, and he lies sprawled across three entire seats, and he's in a posh theater. And before the show has even started, the usher walks by and notices the man, and he says, you know, you're only allowed one seat, sir, so if you could please sit up. And then the man groans, but nothing changes. The usher becomes impatient, and he says to the man, sir, if you, just, if you don't get up, I'm going to run and get my manager. Again, the man groans. Well, this infuriates the usher, so he marches off to get the manager. In a few moments, he and the manager return, and they both repeatedly try to get the man to move. No success there. It was at this point the manager says, well, I'm calling the police. So here come the police. The police officer arrives. He walks down the aisle. He pokes at the man, and he says, sir, sir, what's your name? man groans, and he says, Sam... And he says, well, where are, where'd you come from, Sam? And he, Sam looks up with this sad, sad eyes and voice and says, the balcony. <laughs> well, you have to see that this could be a comic depiction of something that happens on a regular basis, even in our lives today. Things are not always what they seem. Someone once said, Satan plays with loaded dice. He knows our nature and is an expert at deception. A perfect example of this would be Satan's deception of Eve in the garden. Now you see, we live in a spiritual as well as a maternal, as material reality. How many times do you make judgments based on physical assessments and impressions only? Meat smells, throw out. Clouds are getting dark, guess I'll carry an umbrella. Well, you know, this is all well and good, but we are not to operate in a material world only. There is a spiritual reality too, and unfortunately, this reality is bent on our destruction. We need wisdom, wisdom that goes beyond our physical senses, these senses alone. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Although Israel was involved in physical battles, there was a great spiritual battle raging on. This is clearly illustrated in our study today of Joshua 9. Israel has just come off a great physical and spiritual victory. This sometimes is a great challenge to, uh, to Satan to use that 
to his greatest means. But what did Israel lack at this time? In the case of Gibeon, he lacked, they lacked a word from God. You see, up to this point, God had given Israel direction by divine revelation. Here, there's none of that. We can only surmise on why they didn't seek it. Are we so different, really? We are to be clothed in spiritual armor. Our offensive weapon, the word of God. We can see this in James 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives us all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. There it is. Wisdom comes from God. How do you obtain it? Well, you seek him in prayer, and you seek him through his word. Now, this is exactly what Israel had failed to do. And in so doing, they erred greatly. James Montgomery Boyce said, It took three days to discover their error, but a lifetime to live with it. It's easy to see with Israel's triumph, triumphal entry into Canaan, most of the Canaanites were prepared for battle. In contrast, Gibeon, they weren't paralyzed by fear. They were preparing for peace. Israel's opposition up till now came from individual cities, but here we see there's a coalition of multiple cities. Verses 1 and 2. Now it came about when all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country, the lowland, and all the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Pezzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite heard about it, and they met together with one purpose, to fight with Joshua and fight with Israel. Israel was, was allowed to make treaties with the people that lived outside the land that they were conquering. All the people of Canaan were to be utterly destroyed. And we can see this in Deuteronomy 20, verses 10 to 20. It's unclear how the Gibeonites learned Israeli law, but Satan used that knowledge to, to lure Israel with false pride. Verse 3 tells us that they knew of what Israel had done at Jericho and Ai. So in verses 4 to 6, they but they, on their part, acted craftily and went and took provisions for a journey. They took worn-out sacks on their donkeys and wineskins that were worn out, split open and patched, and worn out and patched sandals on their feet, and worn out clothes on themselves, and all the bread of their provision was dry and had become crumbled. And they went to Joshua at the camp at Gilgal and said to him, and to the men of Israel, we have come from a far country. Now then, make a covenant with us. Now, there's a theatrical production, right down to all the props. They had worn out sandals, they had clothes with patches, they had moldy bread, and even cracked wineskins loaded on donkeys. Verse 7, but the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you are living within our land. How then can we make a covenant with you? This shows that Israel had some skepticism by the question they asked. 
This doubt should have been a red flag. Now, Joshua, he sensed that red flag and persisted. Verse 8. So they said to Joshua, we are your servants. Then Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? Good question. They enabled, this enabled a long justification discourse of all the actions they had taken. In verses 6 to 13, lie after lie is told. It is our sinful nature to lie. Now, who among you has ever taught a child to lie? Hands up. Nope, that doesn't happen. You see, the Gibeonites' first lie was in verse 6. They come from a distant land, which they repeat again in verse, seven, verse 9. Where, did, where they speak of Israel's God and his amazing fame in the land. Joshua and the generals appear skeptical at first, but they didn't pause for prayer. They didn't seek guidance from God. And like so many of us today who see a red flag, something just isn't right. But... We fail to follow up and search for the truth. Gibeon lie, this lack of prayer, has serious consequences as it did for Joshua. Now, Gibeon's lies, lies again in stating they are simple servants. They come from far away. To gain credibility, they mention the victories in Egypt and against Moses fought against the Amorites. But they neglected to mention the battles of Jericho and Ai. Victories that were close, surely too close, that would reach a people that far away in such a short period of time. Well, there's no surprise here. The lies just keep on coming. They call themselves important envoys, yet sent to seek a treaty of peace. They were sent, as verse 12 states, with hot bread that has since turned crumbly in their very long journey. Verse 13 continues with the need to patch clothing, sandals, and wineskins. Now, they must have gone to great lengths and had an amazing special effects department to pull off such a convincing production. These men had heard stories of Israel's amazing God. Yet instead of turning in to turning in belief as Rahab did, because she had heard the very same stories, they chose to reject the truth and fight him. Rahab, who heard these same stories, chose uh, to follow and seek the true God. Rahab did believe and submitted to that true God. These men, however, chose to follow Satan's pack of lies and deceit. Even though they projected themselves as servants, there was actually no submission here. There was no submission to God. Their choice was to actually fight against him. Now, there's nothing new under the sun. We're told that in Ecclesiastes over and over again. We see the same deception now. Lies are justifiable. We're taught to seek fulfilling of self and can even use deception to accomplish that goal. There seems to be no black and white anymore. Everything seems to be gray. And gray can even be personally modified if you need it. You need it. Use it to get out of trouble, 
to get ahead, or just to avoid accountability. Now, Satan is the master of lies, and he has built an army that spouts lies to keep people from seeking the truth. Look, at his look what's taught in schools today. They teach evolution, history, but with a twist, the lack of sexual identity, and really strongly, the need to conform. This is reinforced outside the classroom as well by music, the entertainment industry, and the biggest one of all, technology. Definitely the worldwide web of temptation. God provided it for good, but Satan tweaks it just a bit so that it appears as truth. Uh, without guidance from God, we are left with the consequences of following our actions. Here, neither Joshua or the Israelite leaders had sought that guidance from God. Verses 14 and 15. So the men of Israel took some of their provisions, and they didn't ask for the counsel of the Lord. However, it came about at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them that they heard that they were neighbors and that they were living within their land. Israel was deceived by depending on their senses. Satan used this prideful action to his advantage. Fooled by Satan's plan, Joshua and the leaders dropped their guard and they relied only on their logic. They accepted all the lies without realizing that if a great country had wanted to make a peace treaty with such a powerful people as Israel, they surely would have sent some credentials to prove who they represented. They would have showcased their wealth. They would have sent gifts and certainly would have dressed to impress. Why send out an envoy with such poor provisions, arriving like beggars? For this only showed weakness. Did this seem right? Well, evidently it did because Israel just went on and accepted this deceit without consulting the Lord on what they should do. Now, Moses had warned them multiple times to expect snares. This was one of them. But what did they choose? March on. Christians today are equally compelled by Satan's lies. We, we, uh, we think we can march on in our own strength. When in fact we are clueless as to the strength of Satan's powerful army and the lengths they will go to accomplish his ends. We, like Joshua, have been told not to lean on our own understanding. We are to be aware of the red flags or clues that something's just not right. Do not be taken in. You must stop right there. Pause and seek guidance and wisdom. Keep alert to the do-it-right-now calling. This was Joshua's error in AI. The spies told him the victory is easy. Don't take that many men. You've got to act right now to get that victory. Well, pausing to pray and seek guidance would have avoided the terrible results that followed. We must learn this lesson that nothing is ever too small a decision to make without asking for guidance. The Lord uses many different sources to provide wisdom. Joshua did not ask, thus made a covenant with the Canaanites, and that had disastrous consequences. 
You see, all lies will eventually come to light. And here it didn't take long. Verses 16 and 17. However, it came about at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them that the sons of Israel sent out and came to their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Kephirah, Beroth, and Keah, Kevaron. They heard that these were neighbors and that they were living within their land. The text tells us that within three days, Israel was aware of the lies they'd been told. How? It doesn't say. Gibeons lived within seven miles of Jerusalem, which was just a short distance from where they were. This reminds us that our sins will someday come to light, even if it's not until the day we die and we face our God. Today, technology has helped Satan tremendously. Just open the browser and read the headlines. Or just talk to family and friends. It will tell you that vows no longer are taken with the seriousness that they once had. That they once had. From hands on the Bible, oaths in court, to wedding vows, the seriousness has decreased and even been obliterated altogether. Obedience is hard. Feelings can overtake commitment. This happens, however, when this happens, there are consequences. Verse 18. But the sons of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. And the whole congregation grumbled against the leaders. The sons of Israel must have been furious. They must have been furious with the leaders when they discovered how they had been deceived. The problem now was not not what happened, but what to do about that. Joshua makes it clear that this agreement is a sacred one. And even though it was made under deception, it could not be nullified since it was made in the name of the God of Israel. To do so would bring the wrath of God. This was proven to be true in the latter days of Israel when Saul disregarded the treaty and killed the Gibeonites. This is 2 Samuel 21. Israel found out it's really disastrous to be in the hands of an angry God. Genesis 27 tells of a situation where Jacob tricked Isaac into blessing him instead of Esau. That act couldn't be reversed either. There, too, the consequences had historical significance. But God used it to advance his sovereign plan for Israel. Verses 19 to 21. But all the leaders said to the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we cannot touch them. This we will do to them, even let them live, so that the wrath will not be on us because of the oath which we have sworn to them. So the leaders said to them, let them live, and they will be gatherers of firewood and labor to draw water for the whole congregation, just as the leaders had spoken to them. The people grumbled. They grumbled against the leaders since they had now relinquished all they could have obtained by not doing what God had commanded them to do in the first place. 
Now they had to live with the consequences. That included the loss of all spoils. Sadly, it came, uh, also came with the influence these people would have, especially in the area of false belief. These leaders, surprisingly, did not shift the blame, but they accepted their responsibility. It seems they feared God more than they feared the Gibeonites. We too must leave, learn to fear God more than to fear man. Joshua now speaks to the Gibeonites, verses 22 and 23. Then Joshua called for them and spoke to them, saying, Why have you deceived us, saying, We, we are very far from you when you are living within our land? Now, therefore, you are cursed, and you will never cease to be our slaves, both gatherers of wood and laborers to draw water for the house of my God. Their scheme did spare their lives, but would enslave them for a lifetime as woodcutters and water gatherers for the house of God. This was according to how the people with treaties were to be treated, and we see this in Deuteronomy 29, verse 11. The Gibeonites were now indentured to Israel. Slavery had replaced death. That sounds really terrible to us. But actually, this curse became a blessing. While working for the tabernacle, they came in contact with the living God of Israel. A tabernacle was actually placed in the city of Gibeon. That's in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 3. This city was given to the Levites in the land division and even became a city of refuge. The Gibeonites were listed in the, in the part of the returning group from Babylon that accompanied Nehemiah. They helped rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And in time, they replaced the Levites in the temple service. This is seen in Ezra two, uh, chapters 2 and 8. David had a Gibeonite man of valor in his army. The Gibeonites had now come in among God's people. Hundreds of years later, they're still there. God can use anyone and anything to further his sovereign plan. Verse 24. So they answered Joshua and said, Since your servants were fully informed that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land, and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land before you, we feared greatly for our lives because of you, and we did this thing. The Gibeonites now have acknowledged their deceitfulness, but say it was done to spare lives. God, in his mercy, does forgive. But even more than that, he can turn it into a blessing for us also. This has a personal reference especially for me in my testimony. God turned what I believed to be a curse into a blessing. He gave me salvation. Has he done something for you? Has he done something in the family or the world that you walk in that's turned from a curse to a blessing? Or, then again, have you hastily made alliances with unbelievers in this fast-paced world of today, have you hastily marched in your own strength with no time of prayer, no seeking of guidance? Guilty here. How about you? 
How great is it that a merciful God who is gracious to forgive and can even turn sorrow into joy. Remember, however, that forgiveness does not remove the consequences of your actions. And now behold, we are in your hands. So do to us as it seems good and right in your sight to do. And this he did to them and saved them from the hands of the sons of Israel. And they did not kill him. But on that day Joshua made them gatherers of firewood and lab and labor to draw water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the, in the place which he would choose. That's verses 25 to 27. The Gibeonites have acknowledged their deceit and accepted the consequences of their actions. Israel has owned up to their sin and chose to keep their oath and avoid the wrath of God. In all this, we can learn an important truth. We are never to make important decisions without first seeking the Lord for guidance in prayer or seeking it in his word. Our humanness is no match for the cunning power of Satan. We know this from the lesson that's, that Satan, of course, did not win this battle. That, of course, makes him even more determined to advance his agenda in the pursuit of our souls. And sadly, he knows us all too well. He wants us to be controlled by what other people say and what other people do. He wants us to fit in, be comfortable, when God has told us just the opposite. Be, uh, be separate, be willing to accept your stand and be persecuted for it. God, however, wants us to be faithful in obedience to his commandments and vows that we've made. Our God is a holy God. To break a vow made in his name is to blaspheme the very God in whose name the vow was made. We do not live by the opinions of others, but we live by the word of our God. A very important issue here is whether or not you have personally turned to God. Or have you, like the Gibeonites, proudly, proudly marched on in your own strength? If this is you, now is the time to stop, pause, and seek him. We have learned today how disastrous the outcome of walking in your own strength can be. You need the strength and the guidance that God provides to those who do believe and do submit to the, ver to the one true God. Let us pray. Father, we come to you today asking you for strength and guidance. We live in a fast-paced, changing world, yet not so different from that of Joshua. Please give us wisdom to seek you even in the, the smallest of decisions. And we pray this in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen.